his own heart. That is the theme of our study through the book of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 13, we actually come across that verse. We understand why God says it. We understand who he says it to, David. And we understand the circumstances behind God saying it. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 13. Throughout this book, we are learning how we too as we apply the gospel principles in 1 Samuel, how we too can see God fashion in us hearts after his own heart. And this morning, our particular focus is seeking after God's heart through waiting. If you were paying attention to that last song, wait for the Lord our God. Wait for the Lord our God your God, grace will prevail. If you ever want to see an exciting, crazy, zany time at the Flayhard home, you need to drop by at 7 in the morning, we'll be up, I promise you, or 4 in the afternoon, feeding time. For those of you who don't know, we have six golden retrievers and actually a litter of pups on the ground right now. But 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. are feeding time. Now, people, there are some who eat to live, and there are some people who live to eat. I can tell you and assure you that our golden retrievers live to eat. I mean, you would think that's all they're here for. They eat at 7 and sleep and lay around, and then they eat at 4 and sit and sleep and lay around. But at 7 o'clock and 4 o'clock, they go crazy. We don't even have to check our watches. If they go nuts, it's either 7 o'clock or 4 o'clock. Now, to control the craziness and the chaos, we've learned to try to grab their attention. And so I'm getting the bowls ready, putting the food in their bowls, and and they're going nuts. I mean, if several of them are in the kitchen, it's like Doggy Daytona 500. I mean, they're in a line, and they're just walking around, running around, prancing around, and then when they pass me, they bark, and then they do another lap, and then they bark. It's the craziest thing. So when I finally have everything ready, I tell them to sit. And then before I put the bowl down, I say, now, watch me. And then I say, wait. And then I put the bowl down. And their eyes are locked on me. Their hope for living at that moment is locked on me. I mean, if they could talk, hey. Bob, this is life or death. Let's get with it. But I'll look at you. It's gotten to the point now where I don't even have to issue any commands. I get the food, they sit. 
And then I put the bowl down, they look at me. And if you could just see what's in those eyes, I'm going to die if you don't take care of me. And then I'll put the bowl down, I'll make them watch me for a second or two, and then I'll say, okay. And man, they just devour that. Waiting's hard for dogs that want their food. Waiting's hard for toddlers. Waiting's hard for teens. Waiting is hard for adults. And yet, God has chosen oftentimes to fashion our hearts after his heart through seasons of waiting. Maybe you're waiting this morning for a spouse or a child. Or maybe you're waiting for an adult child to turn to the Lord. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse to turn to the Lord. Maybe you're waiting with cancer. Maybe you're waiting in financial ruin. Maybe you're just waiting for the promises of transformation to be more real in your lives. But God often puts us in seasons of waiting. God put the first king of Israel, Saul, in a season of waiting. Samuel the prophet told Saul to go to a city named Gilgal. And in that city, Saul was to amass the army of Israel. And they were going to defend themselves against their arch enemy, the Philistines. And so Saul waited and waited and waited until the seventh day. And it didn't look like Samuel was going to come. And like many of us, when we're in a season of waiting, Saul caved. And because he caved, there were consequences. He made a bad decision. And that's why God says, Saul, I'm rejecting you as king. And I have sought for myself a man after my own heart. We know that man is David. But the whole theme to this book comes down to Saul failing to wait. And so God wants to encourage you this morning in a season of waiting. Just like that song says, grace will prevail. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep waiting. Saul didn't, and we're learning this morning from a negative example how we can seek after God's own heart through waiting. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along as I read 1 Samuel 13, verses 5 to 15. This is God's word. 
And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, The people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said... Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering for me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. He wants to form in us a heart after his own heart. And he wants us to know that he often does that through seasons of waiting. And he wants us to know through this word, you can wait for the Lord because grace will indeed prevail. Let's pray. God, open our eyes from your word, but may it not just strike us rationally. May it move our emotions, touch our desires, and move our wills. Change us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So again, I said we're going to learn from Saul's negative example who failed to wait, how we can wait for the Lord. Trusting grace will prevail. And that leads us to our first point. The first point is we wait And walk by faith. We believe grace will prevail. Now, I want to make sure that we don't immediately cast stones at Saul for his failure. Make no mistake, this circumstance was intense. The Philistines are an overpowering enemy. They're much better resourced than Israel's army. 
They have more troops, more chariots, more weapons. The people realized they were in trouble. But they were supposed to wait. What happens to your faith when you're waiting on the Lord and things just keep getting worse? The tight spot you're in just presses in more and more. The people started leaving, Saul wasn't coming. The Philistines were on the march. Twice in this passage, we read the word S-A-W, Saul. And the problem we discover is that the people of Israel and Saul, and oftentimes we ourselves, in times of difficulty when we're called to wait for the Lord, trusting His grace will prevail, we get our eyes off of Jesus, the hope of all of our promises, and onto our circumstances. Look at verse 6. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Look at verse 11 as Saul responds to Samuel. He says, when I saw people scattering, the enemy coming, you had not come. The principle is this. When we're waiting and circumstances and situations become more intense, we have a tendency to interpret God's heart toward us through our circumstances. We walk by sight and not by faith. But Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 that God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. So you're in a difficult marriage. And circumstances seem to be getting worse, not better. You've been waiting on the Lord, trusting that grace will prevail. But it just doesn't look like it is. What are you focusing on? The Lord and His heart toward you and His promises? Or your circumstances? You're looking for work or you're out of work or you're in a dead-end job or you have problems at work and you're waiting on the Lord and things just get worse. What do you do? You have a choice. Do you focus on your circumstances? Or do you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Saul's in a similar situation that we find ourselves in, and it's the same situation that Peter found himself in. Remember when Peter was in the boat with the disciples and Jesus came walking in the water and the storms, the wind, the waves were intense? And Jesus said, don't fear, it's me. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, invite me to come to you, walking on the water. And then Peter, a man just like you and me, right? There's, there's no difference between us and Peter. We're just human beings, fallen, broken. Peter walks on water. He's walking on the water. And then 
rather than walking by faith and not by sight, he sees the waves and he hears the wind. And he begins to give in to sight and loses faith and he sinks. Maybe this morning you're sinking emotionally, spiritually. God says, actually God does more than says, God is wanting to cup your face in his hands like I do with our dogs and say, watch me. Wait in faith. Grace will prevail. The Lord has sought after a man after his own heart. We know it's David. But you realize how long David had to wait in faith? David was anointed king 15 to 20 years before he actually became king. And you know, most of those years, Saul was trying to kill him. David was on the run. And yet God had him in a season of waiting. Joseph was in a season of waiting. He had these great dreams when he was a teenager. God was going to use him mightily. And he had to wait in faith. Year after year after year after year after year. Folks, I'm not minimizing the pain of waiting. But God calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to not fixate on our circumstances. God has you. His heart toward you is good. His promises are true. Therefore, wait for the Lord. His grace will prevail. Wait and walk by faith. Secondly, wait and continue to obey. If the contrast in the first point was walking by faith and not by sight, the contrast here is obeying God's word, not our emotions. That song we sang, Christ be magnified in me. I won't bow down to idols. I won't let my emotions rule me. Listen, um, emotions are wonderful parts of being image bearers. Emotions tell us deep messages. Emotions alert us to things that are important to us. Emotions Help us become aware of our deepest desires and longings. Emotions are like, are like dashboard lights in a car. They alert us to things. But we're not to be ruled by our emotions. And one of the reasons Saul stopped waiting for the Lord was because he began to obey his emotions above God's word, above the command of God. In verse 7, 
Saul is at Gilgal. And notice that all the people following him are trembling. One of the most difficult emotions to face when we're called to wait for the Lord is fear. I've made my worst decisions in times of fear. When I parent in fear, I make bad decisions. When I counsel in fear, I make bad decisions. When I look at circumstances and situations and relationships through the eyes of fear, I make bad decisions. And Saul allowed the fear of the people to make him afraid, and he made bad decisions. Again, notice Saul did wait initially. He waited and waited, and then his emotions got the best of him. Rather than continuing in obedience, rather than saying what God wants me to do is the next right thing, as part of my waiting, I'm being called to do the next right thing. And when I've done that next right thing, then I'm called to do the next right thing and the next right thing. And we fill up our waiting by looking to the Lord, focusing and fixing our eyes on Jesus, and continually doing the next right thing and following the commands of God. But our emotions sometimes get the better of us. You're single. You're in love. Why not have sex before marriage? You're married, and you're at the end of your rope. Your marriage seems to be killing you. But you have no grounds for divorce. But why not get a divorce? You're under incredible stress. You just need some relief. Why not just go spend some money or take that extra drink? or self-medicate with some kind of drug, or look at porn. How are you tempted to obey your feelings rather than God's word this morning? Our emotions can exercise such a pull on our hearts that the word of God goes out the window. In verse 11, Samuel says, what is this that you have done? Samuel points out Saul's disobedience. He says the same thing in verses 13 and 14. Samuel repeats the truth that Saul had not kept what the Lord commanded. Saul allowed his emotions to overrule the Scriptures. How are you in danger of doing that in your season of waiting today? And then Saul continues to be emotional rather than following God's word. Rather than repenting at Samuel's rebuke, Saul makes excuses and blame shifts and plays the victim and says, it's not my fault. Look at verse 11. 
Saul says, I saw that the people were scattering. It's not my fault. It's their fault. They were leaving me. What else was I supposed to do? And you did not come. Samuel, this is actually your fault. If you'd have come when I thought you were going to come, I wouldn't have done this. And the Philistines were mustering. That's right, Samuel. It's not my fault. It's my enemy's fault. We can tell that we're allowing our emotions to get the best of us in seasons of waiting when we become defensive, when we begin to blame shift, when we begin to feel the victim. And when those emotions get a hold of us, it is so easy for us in our fallenness to rationalize going against the commands of God. The final authority in our lives that is supposed to be Scripture becomes what we feel. And by the way, we live in a world where emotions are God. Most people live by their gut. And I even hear in the church, go with your gut. No! Go with God's Word. Don't go with your gut. I've had people say, well, it just feels so right. I don't care how it feels if it is opposed to God's word. Please, I do care, okay? I do care about you. But under no circumstances. I mean, Saul actually says, the Philistines were coming at me, and I'd not sought the Lord's favor. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to disobey, because that will certainly give me Lord's favor. I'm, I'm going to offer the sacrifice that only the priest is allowed to offer, but I need to seek the Lord's favor, so I better do it. it. It's so crazy, and yet, can we be honest? That's what happens to us, right? Under stress, in times of waiting, God's clear commands become awfully blurred and awfully gray. So where are you this morning in a season of waiting and you're, you're this close to ignoring God's commands? Continue to live in obedience. Our emotions are a never a single signal that God wants to dis, us to disobey his word. And as you seek to counsel each other, we do need to feel compassion empathy, sympathy. But we can never give people the green light, no matter what they're feeling, to go against God's commands. And when we do, there will be a cost, just like there was a cost to Saul. God's ways are the best way. God's ways is the good way. God's way is the safe way. God's way is good and acceptable and perfect. Wait for the Lord your God. Grace will prevail. So we walk by faith. We wait and walk by faith. We wait and continue to obey. And then thirdly and finally, we wait and grow in surrender. That's the key word of waiting. Surrender. 
I get the imp, trust me, I know firsthand what it is to fail to wait in so many areas of life. And, and what we choose to do, if we really want to wait, is surrender. Just keep surrendering like Jesus did in the garden. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. Whatever you're waiting in this morning, there, there is something related to the phrase, not my will, but yours. And God calls us to surrender. It's interesting the words that Saul uses. He says, I forced myself to offer the sacrifice. Like, I didn't want to do it, but I forced myself to do it. No, at that point, Saul didn't say, not my will, but yours be done. But doggone it, my will be done. I need the Lord's favor. Now, again, how crazy can we be that we actually think disobeying God would be a means of receiving his favor? And yet that's what happens in our lives sometimes, doesn't it? We are just that crazy too. It's interesting in verse 12, Saul says, Now the Philistines are going to come down against me, and I've not sought the Lord's favor. That, that word favor is very manipulative. That word favor means this, to try to soften or sweeten somebody's face. It means to try to flatter somebody. It really is manipulative. It's trying to appease somebody so that you can get what you want. And so Saul stops surrendering his will to God's will and instead tries to bend God's heart and God's will to his own will. I get that. Do you? I know those times when I'm really sort of set on what I want to do. And I, I want to manipulate God. Sometimes I'll do it through religiosity. If I'm a really good Christian, maybe God will give me what I want. And I surrender to my own what I want rather than surrendering to God's will. You see, instead of surrendering to love and to grace, Saul surrenders to self-reliance and self-sufficiency. I'll do it my way. And we all will face that tension when it comes to a season of waiting. It happened to Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that he was in circumstances so intense that he despaired even of life. But by God's grace, he recognized God had him in a season of waiting. And what does he say? These things happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, Saul didn't experience anything new, and neither do we. Think of Gideon. Gideon is going up against 135,000 Midianites. He has 32,000 men of Israel for his army. God says, nope, too many. 
What? Too many? The deck stacked against me already. God says, no. Too many. God dwindles 32,000 down to 300. Now it's 300 against 135,000. God says, now we're ready. Gideon's like, what? Now we're ready. Now we're about ready to get slaughtered. No. God just kept saying, surrender to my will. Surrender to my will. Keep saying, not my will, but your will be done. And God got the victory with 300 against 135,000. You know, there are people who say, scholars, that Samuel was in fact there the whole time. He was off in the bushes being commanded by God to wait to see what Saul would do. And Saul surrendered and surrendered and surrendered until he didn't. And then the text is very clear. As soon as he failed to surrender to God and to surrender to his own self-reliance, Samuel immediately comes out. How might God be ready to reveal himself in your season of waiting. And you're tempted to surrender to self-reliance and to the flesh or to your emotions or to your circumstances to be that close to seeing God show up and you miss the opportunity because you failed to surrender. Waiting is hard. Even David, the one verse 14 talks about, I have sought for myself a man after my own heart. The man after his own heart is a man who waits on the Lord. David is a man who waits on the Lord. He waits 15 to 20 years. He waits in all kinds of other areas of his life as well. But we know the truth. Even David failed to wait for the Lord. We know about his sin with Bathsheba. He didn't wait for God to fulfill his God-given desires according to God's commands. So even the man after God's own heart is not really the man after God's own heart. David is not really the man after God's own heart. The son of David is. Only Jesus waited in faith for a lifetime without fail. Only Jesus obeyed God's commands every moment of every day and didn't give in to emotions that would lead him to disobey God's commands. Only Jesus lived a life of complete surrender all the time, all the way to the point of death. Not your will, God. Not my will, God, but your will be done. And it is only Jesus who can give us hearts after God. It's only Jesus that can keep our faith from failing. It's only Jesus that can give us the power to say no to what seem like omnipotent feelings in order to say yes to God's commands. It's only Jesus that can give us the surrender that he had within himself. Will you trust Jesus?
Will you continually fix your eyes on him? Will you believe God's heart is good in your season of waiting? Will you believe that his promises are true? Will you believe that he has you? Will you believe that help is on its way? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how we learn from failure. And Lord, some of us are being convicted even now of our failures to wait. And God, may the blood of Jesus Christ be all of our hope, all of our joy. Father, some of us are about to compromise in a season of waiting. Would you prevent that? Would you stir our faith and prompt our obedience and enable our surrender? And God, many of us have opportunities to counsel friends who are in season of waiting. God, help us to point them to Jesus, the only one who really is a man after your own heart. But make us more like Jesus by your Spirit. And God, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ, we pray today would be the day of surrender. They wouldn't turn to their self-sufficiency or their own efforts, but instead would cast themselves completely on the finished work of Christ for salvation, eternal life, and transformation. God, thank you for what you're doing among us. Would you keep your work going strong in us and through us and around us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction, the promise of God's grace and favor upon our lives in Christ. Receive it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.